everyone, welcome to episode four of We've Lost the Plot, a book podcast. I'm Devin. Oh, and I'm Caroline. Yeah, I'm and we're, um, you guys are kind of joining us right in the middle of the action here. Caro is about to describe to me an image of herself in her emo face, which uh, links to today's book, which is Hamlet by William Shakespeare. Why don't you go ahead, Kara? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm currently looking at pictures of myself in eighth grade, which is a very hard feat to do and still survive the end of it. Yes. For those of you who don't know, I guess none of you know, I was I was fairly emo. <laughs> I was fairly emo in my younger years, including eighth and ninth grade, and then a little bit into tenth, which is a little bit too... That's a little bit much. The scene was definitely dead by then. So I'm currently going through pictures of me being emo, of which there are a lot, which I thought I deleted, but I didn't. (laughs) And and you can't tell, but I have tears in my eyes. I'm actually crying right now looking at this (laughs) horrible thing that I have done. And I'm now about to post them into the Google Doc that I share with Devin whenever we're talking about a book. Oh, this is very um, good. I'm very excited. This one that I'm posting right here was height of, I thought I looked so good in a beanie. Yes. The answer is I didn't. I mean, I still Please wear them God, now. Please, God, Caro, share this picture right now. Um, the suspense is killing me, and I'm sure well, now the I'm suspense gonna... of this visual gag is also killing our audience. <laughs> so I'm I'm posting it, and I just have like this... Please, oh. God, stop stalling, and just click that control V. Oh, I... that's very good. Here's an... Oh, it didn't load (laughs) oh it did though oh Oh, that's oh oh, this is you in front of okay caro this is way more okay friends of the plod here we are (laughs) on our first shakespeare play and caro has gifted us with an image of her in front of noted and lauded shakespeare actor tom hiddleston (laughs) as his most notorious role of uh, Loki in the Thor uh, franchise. This is a beautiful picture in Caro. Now that it's in the (laughs) podcast, I think I will need to include it um, in the notes. I'll link to it. (laughs) So for like, I'm going to give everyone kind of a visual. So it's a picture of Loki when Thor, I think it's when the Avengers came out. (laughs) Uh, The first one with, with Loki in it. And he's, like, kind of given, like, this kind of sexy look. And, like, I was emo and, like, so into Loki. So I have, like, this really, like, grimace and, like, a cocked smile kind of, like, next to him with this horrible beanie. And I'm definitely wearing navy blue eyeliner because my mom wouldn't let me have black. Which I think she should have just let me have it because I think the navy blue actually made it worse. (laughs) (laughs) It may actually have been um, kind of counter to your mother's intentions. Yeah, I think she wanted it to be less emo i think it just looks so bad okay caro i'm gonna need to i'm gonna need to wrestle the, the end of the of gag? podcast back okay um, well yeah well, that was Hamlet. so for for uh, a bit of news before we get into the book this will be an episode on the shorter side just because you know carol has some laundry to do and i also am i'm going not... back home tomorrow baby woo i'm also like home Got i'm like not home. at school I got my fucking laundry to do. Wow, I'm gonna bleep that. I said fuck. Yeah, that does loop in to the fact that, you know, we're in Scandinavia for Hamlet. And that's how they say that. It's like fjord. Yuck. Um, (laughs) Okay, so the book this week is Hamlet, Caro. Yeah. And it it was written by William Shakespeare. Yes, it was written by Billy Shakespeare. Yeah, good old Bill. Okay, so let's just uh, hop right in to the one minute recap oh and you're going first because uh i went first last week so okay i'm yeah, just yeah. gonna so that's yeah, how yeah. that's how it goes man it's just how it, it be okay 
Are we ready? Yeah, yeah. Three, two, one, go. So, Hamlet is the prince of Denmark. Also, Hamlet is also the dead king of Denmark, and um, but they're two different people. Hamlet, young Hamlet, here uh, from now on referred to as Hamlet, um, his uncle uh, took the throne when his dad died and started uh, yucking his mom. And uh, he's really pissed off about it because, like, you know, it's just kind of weird. And then uh, old Hamlet's ghost appears and it's like, Claudius totally killed me. And Hamlet's like, oh, no, this is super bad. Also, I want to die. Um, so then he tells his friends that he's going to act mad for a little while. So he does. And then his girlfriend um, is told, hey, I'm uh, is told to break up with him. So she like kind of does. But then she goes mad. But Hamlet's like faking being mad. And like everybody's really confused. And then actors come and Hamlet's like, this is the perfect time to see if Claudius killed my dad. So then they recreate, um, like, this old play where, like, the king dies. And then Claudius is like, oh! And then Hamlet, there's this whole big death scene and everybody dies. And that's, like, the end of the play. Everybody just dies. Oh, you're over your minute. I'm zoned out for a second, but you're it. <laughs> you just went a few seconds over. Um, Man, I'm glad this is such a, we run a tight ship here. <laughs> I was I was still looking at old pictures of myself. I'm exiting out of my photos now. Close the window. <laughs> I did it. I did it. We're, We're recording done now. a podcast. Okay. The podcast first for once. Okay. That was a very good recap. You actually like you actually went. Yeah, over I think it. I did pretty well. We'll get into this after the one minute recap. But this is a f-ing, oh jeez, this is a really messy book. It's a messy book for okay. messy boys. Go gross. Okay, ready? Three, two, one, go. We enter in Denmark. Uh, with a ghost, which is one of my favorite ways to open a book uh, ever, is a ghost being there. Uh, and the ghost is of Hamlet, and it's and there's all, but there's another Hamlet, and that's the one that the story's about. There's Ham, it's like, it's like there's Hamlet, uh, Bush, and then Hamlet W. Bush, and <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then, and then um, it's revealed that W has been very emo this whole time because his dad's dead, which is why he's a ghost, obviously. So his dad is dead, <laughs> and it was uh, his. The crown was taken over by his ugly uncle, and his ugly uncle married his mom, who's probably pretty. Her name's Gertrude, and is like ruining everything. And Hamlet's so fucking pissed, but his cool best friend Horatio's there, and I love Horatio. You're and- done. You're done. <laughs> You're so done. You spent half of your minute on this dumb joke about Hamlet and Hamlet being George H.W. and George W. Bush. Which I think is the funniest thing to ever come out of this podcast. Oh my god. Okay, so... I'm sorry, I didn't think you were actually going to laugh at that and then it derailed me. So the main, like, the main thing about this book is that old Hamlet dies, and young Hamlet does not ascend to the throne. Instead, his uncle, the dead king's brother, his takes ugly the brother, throne, marrying porn. Queen Gertrude. And Hamlet is very depressed, and he kind of uh, stays depressed for longer than everyone else. And he is denied the request to go back to college. And Can you imagine? Then he's just... 
Yeah, and then he meets his dad's ghost. to go back to college. <laughs> he meets his dad's ghost, who says, Claudia's totally killed me, and Hamlet wants to seek revenge and kill Claudius, but the he deals with many different problems around killing Claudius and around his own desire to die and it's a it's a it's a pretty uh it's a pretty heavy book yeah, but it's mainly super... it's mostly a play yeah it's it is first and foremost because it's Shakespeare a play and since it is also Shakespeare it's written in Shakespearean English <laughs> so Caro as a kind of um I'm probably going to be talking most of this uh, I'm gonna, probably going to be leading most of this discussion, so I want to give you this time to kind of talk about your problems with Shakespeare. It's just I hate him. I just, I, I, he was right, like... Right, but this is a podcast that is made to discuss the finer points of literature and not um, just I hate I'm it. I'm getting into my reasons why I hate it. <laughs> I ha- There's a couple reasons why I think he's cool. One, he smoked a lot of weed, according to history. <laughs> That's kind of cool. Two... That's it. So every other thing he does, I hate him for it. I think, I mean, like, it's, I guess it's okay that he, like, wrote a whole bunch of, like, like, he created a whole bunch of new words. Like, that's kind of neato. But he was like, about it. Plus, there's a lot of evidence that he didn't write most of his works, which is kind of ridiculous, in my opinion. I know that a lot of signs are pointing to the fact that maybe more women wrote his works and blah, 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 blah. And he took credit, which I know it's the 1500s, but I just have a problem with that. Plus, I know in my heart he was a Oh, reason two why I like him? He has a cool ear piercing. That's Is that Also I think his stories are pretty boring and I think that he has his head up his ass. Alright. Also I'm not so, an actor, so I don't have like a good reason to love him. I don't have to perform anything. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna take over here. I love Shakespeare. Uh Shakespeare is probably what I wanna spend my life doing as an actor. I think a lot of the hatred that surrounds Shakespeare, especially in our generation, comes from the fact that we are forced to read it in school. Yeah, do you know what the first thing I read by uh, Shakespeare was? Merchant of Venice. A good play, but nowhere near his best. But when you're like 14, it's the most boring, and it's anti-Semitic, and you're sitting there like, this is all bad. (laughs) So... So let's get into this. Shakespeare is the the other problem inherent is that for a lot of people, the cultural renditions of these plays that they've seen all occupy this really weird and not Shakespearean space of like period 16th century costume and placing it all in this weird space where it's supposed to seem like a period piece when the kind of beauty of Shakespeare is how timeless the stories are, and all of his plays were written about situations in England by placing them in different times and places, which is the same thing that we do. So the idea that all of them should be spoken like like what we think Elizabethan England sounded like, and everybody dressed in doublets and tights is kind of disingenuous and I think hurts the way we look at Shakespeare as a as a generation I can I will like speak to that I do think that the versions where they take Shakespeare and put it in a different time like the at least the movie versions are actually a lot better I, I enjoy them a lot more yeah, than I Baz like Lerman's the, Romeo like, and Juliet Baz Lerman's Romeo plus Juliet first which I like and then there's Private Romeo which is not bad it's the gay version 
and then yeah, um, there's a uh, and then, uh, there's a production of Macbeth with with Patrick Stewart there's that's the, set in like a weird mid twentieth century thing that's very well done. Is that the one with World War Two? Yes. Oh my god, that one's so good. And I really also yeah. like Kenneth Branagh's attempt to use all the words in Hamlet in that one four hour version of Hamlet. Yes. He worked real hard on it. And I really like it. So yeah. So the adaptations are I think I think they do the books more justice than the actual books do so see and this this gets into another yeah this is another one of my points the way we read them in school we read them and the way Shakespeare is meant to be consumed is obviously not written because he didn't write them down they were performed most people performed them on cue scripts which were scripts that only included your lines and the line right before and the line right after. And most of them were not written down until near or after his death. Right. Wasn't um, there, the, aren't there a couple versions of Hamlet and like one of them was definitely written by someone who performed very small roles in Hamlet? Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> so there are quartos and folios and we won't get too into that because and spaghettios <laughs> it's not really, this isn't and... a Shakespeare podcast. Um <laughs> But yes, one of the versions was very clearly written by somebody who was not really a part <laughs> of big part of the production. Uh, to your point before about like him, like the idea of like women writing Shakespeare, I don't think is, uh, and I might get flack for this. I don't think is a very well supported theory. The theory that is uh, pretty well supported is that who we think of as Shakespeare was one person, but was maybe a woman. Yes. And that's just my Which, onion. It's my personal onion that. Yeah, I think I think the, <laughs> I think that a lot of... more women were involved in Shakespeare, and I think it's kind of ridiculous that it's so patronizing. Well, the historical account is fair. Like we can understand that the people who wrote history probably erased right. a lot of women in the same way they erased, you know, yeah. gay people and yeah. people of color. Okay, so right, the we book should that get we into read. the book. <laughs> right, so. Bearing in mind the fact that you're not supposed to read Shakespeare, you're supposed to watch it, um, or act in it, or do whatever with it, um, <laughs> we, let's get into the fact that we read it. My kind of main point, and we really probably right. will just do one or two points about the book, because my my suggestion for you guys is just to go like and see the production. It's not really to read this it. book. Like, I just, I haven't seen it live, I've just yeah, watched or, the Kenneth yeah, watch. so good. For Hamlet, yeah, for Hamlet, there's also the, the version with Mel Gibson, as much as he's a bad human being, The that interpretation is very interesting. There's some, like, Freudian concepts that I think are really well played with, and that kind of gets into the best way to, con like, the reason Shakespeare is really cool and worthy of passion and love and, and attention in 2017 is any choice you make with Shakespeare, as long as it is rooted and done with intent, can make Shakespeare really good and compelling and interesting so my main point about this book is that it's so funny <laughs> it's funny like, i love the murder suicide book and how funny it is <laughs> yeah yeah but we we really i i think a lot of the time what we do with shakespeare and with a lot of plays is we put them into comedy or tragedy and while shakespeare did the both. same thing it can be a rom-com everything <laughs> yeah like in the first scene when you imagine a ghost what i did when i read this book is i i started to imagine it staged which is probably 
because Devin I'm goes an actor, to acting but, school. Like, I started to imagine the ghost is just a dude in a sheet. I did too. I was literally just like, wouldn't which, it be so funny if it's just a guy in a sheet? Yeah, which like, <laughs> that things like that you're totally allowed to imagine. And they make a lot of stuff really funny that like lines... Even in Shakespearean English, where it's like, speak ghost, and the ghost, like, stands there, like, like, turns around and walks (laughs) away. And they're like, oh, it's God. And then Horatio's like, that's a ghost. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And even the the concept of when they see the ghost, Horatio, they're like, Horatio, you went to college, go talk to that ghost. (laughs) He's like, I didn't go to college, I don't believe in ghosts. And he turned around, he's like, oh, it's a ghost. (laughs) Buzzfeed unsolved. Hamlet's dad. And Hamlet is like hilarious and that's kind of one of the main that back then would have been he would have been seen as a very hilarious character and he should to us as well when claudius is introducing hamlet in one of the first scenes claudius is like oh yes my cousin and my son hamlet and he's like a little more kin and less than kind i love a little bit a little more kin and less than kind that's one of my favorite lines and those are all like lines that would have been directed to like an audience yeah. member and the audience would be like so ah, all... and then they throw tomatoes or something yeah or something, <laughs> or something. who knows <laughs> what's another fruit tons of there are tons of fruits oranges is the thing about them there's a lot Apples. of them. yeah they throw big apples <laughs> and they just bruise the actors poor <laughs> actors Hamlet on the head. <laughs> what i'd also like to talk about in kind of this line of choices making shakespeare is uh the madness that hamlet goes through And this, again, one of the main problems that Hamlet goes through in the book is like this reckoning with the idea of life. He once asks, he he wishes that his religion didn't forbid suicide. He has multiple contemplations of suicide, which all are very powerful today. And I think in the 20th century and in the later 19th century, uh, American culture kind of moved away from a familiarity with death and kind of made it a capital O other thing. So when we read when we read this book now as, you know, millennials who are pretty acquainted, a lot of us have fatalistic humor. We have humor. the highest rate of depression than any other and, generation. Yeah, and, have, and do not have a, a fear of death or a, a, a taboo surrounding death as older generations do. So when you read something like Hamlet and he's very frankly speaking to the audience about the fact that he wants to die, that's something that we can relate to. And we, I, I think young people can, I at least can appreciate the frankness. If Hamlet... You know, it's something that seems very modern in its straightforwardness. If Ham, Hammy was around today... Yeah. Good old if, Ham. If Ham was around today, he would have a black and white Tumblr blog. He would post pictures of yeah. cigarettes and with a whole bunch of like kind of fun words scrawled on the pictures. Yeah, bloody knuckles. Bloody knuckles. And he would post a lot about how like he like wants to die, but like he doesn't want to stop playing his Xbox. So... Well, also like he thinks that he'll go to yeah. hell also. but he wouldn't say that online um, and also cool. his mom married his uncle he'd be like isn't it f-ed up how my mom married my uncle <laughs> yeah he would be kind of funny about it because he is in the book it would be the kind of <laughs> like, like the even like well remember how my uncle married my mom I, That's one of my weird. favorite parts in hamlet is that like in a lot of there's like always jokes in like the 1800s and stuff about like people marrying cousins and stuff but like even in this they're like gross <laughs> like gross <laughs> rooney he married who your mom and like it seems like it's like very funny to me that it's gross then but like not gross and like 
Little House on the Prairie. And then, like, yeah, yeah, gross exactly. now, but just, like, gross or rooney. <laughs> Going into one of the ways that Hamlet deals with his ideations and with his uh, discovery that Claudius killed his father and his plot to kill him is he, like, tells his buddies, he's like, yo, if I act crazy... Don't be too concerned. And then he acts crazy. Is that crazy Rosencrantz and for... Guildenstern? No, that's Horatio. Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are the people that Claudius hires right, right, right. to kind of spy on Hamlet because they're They're all his friends. friends, but two of them are not really. Yeah. And so I was actually at my high school today and I was uh, I at one of my... Story. Yeah, my Shakespeare teacher... <laughs> We're friends was, on Snapchat. <laughs> ...was teaching an English class on Hamlet. So it was actually, it was really nice to listen to him and listen to students talk about the different concepts of the madness and that another thing that some people find really interesting about Shakespeare that's not really my gig, but I under I understand, is that like a lot of questions are not answered by Hamlet. Hamlet is a very messy story. It doesn't, it goes in all different directions and then ends with a bloody stage filled with bodies. I was about to say, I do believe it like, ends in everyone dying. Right. That's about as, as messy as you get. Yeah, and Fortinbras comes and is kind of a big bad, you know? <laughs> there's Fortinbras H.W. Bush and then there's Fortinbras, Fortinbras W. Bush. W. Yes. Bush. Uh, yes. And <laughs> Fortinbras, who is kind of the external national danger to, to Denmark, just kind of comes on stage and then is like, give Hamlet a soldier's burial. And that's like the whole thing. And, and Horatio's like, my prince. That's incredibly different as opposed to another one of Shakespeare's possibly best works in Macbeth, which is one of the tightest, most well-told stories. It's tight. It's hip. It's, it's, it's very like well put together. It makes sense. There are not a lot of strings. They all lead to the that's same true. place yeah. versus Hamlet. And in that vein, it's never explained why Hamlet is going mad. Or if he is actually going mad and is just trying to cover for himself, right. that he saw his father's ghosts and he knows he's about to go crazy. So he tells his friends that it's just a put on, but it's not. Or right. if he is acting mad to cover himself for when he murders Claudius, that he can plead insanity. Or if he's acting mad because he knows that people will start to let their guards down around him and say things that they wouldn't normally say. And all of these are like perfectly valid and rooted in the text interpretations. Yeah, completely. And I think that that kind of interpretation, that kind of vagueness is something that theater excels at as a medium. And I think that it's something that media today in a very connected, fleshed out uh, society where, you know, books with open endings are usually given sequels. Right. And like The Giver, which ended openly and then they made a sequel and that was dumb. Or movies that all tie into each other and are very tightly knit. I, I think uh, something like Hamlet can like, I don't know, in 2017, it's interesting to read a story like that. And I think we should. Yeah, I think we should too. I do like that. Even if uh, William Shakespeare was yeah, 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 yeah. Do you want to wrap it here? It's yeah, we'll wrap it here. Uh, when we come back, we will talk with Adam O'Connell, who's one of my classmates at NYU. Caro is going to go get her laundry. I'm going to get my laundry. We'll I'm so excited. Right back. What up, everyone? We're back, and we're here with Devin's friend, Adam, and also my friend now. Hello. That's Adam. <laughs> yes, Hi. now we're all friends. So we're all friends, um, and we're in this. You could call me the, the uh, fortune bras of this podcast, because I showed up very late with little to no knowledge okay. of what happened before I got here. No, that's so valid. Yeah. 
<laughs> now well, you're gonna bury me. I also don't have any yeah. knowledge of what just happened, and I was in the podcast. So, Caro, of of <laughs> us two, who is Hamlet and who is Horatio? Oh, so I think I'm definitely I'm Hamlet because I'm self centered and emo. You're Horatio because you're a friend and you're gay. Good. All right. I'm glad we got that settled. <laughs> that sounds um, right. Yeah. So, Adam, <laughs> you are my uh, classmate at NYU. Yes, I am. Uh, we are in the same studio. We, are. we uh, both participated in uh, productions of Shakespeare plays at uh, in yep. Shakespeare in the Square. Yep, we did. Not the same ones, yeah. but we did. No, I was in Midsummer Night's Dream, and you were in. I was in King Lear. Awesome. Okay, so wait, who were you in? Who were you in both? Like what? Like who played who in what show? I, I was, played uh, oh, uh, you go first. <laughs> flute and Thisbe in right, right. Midsummer Night's Dream. Right. I was, um, yeah, I was Oswald in King Lear, so I got beat up a lot and then probably God, murdered. So good. <laughs> um, Very King good. Lear okay. definitely on our list of things to read. Yeah. Okay, so to get into the book, uh, one of the first things we, one of the main things we talked about in our pretty short discussion of the actual book, uh, <laughs> was the idea of Hamlet as a character and how he's pretty dang relatable to a 2017 mm-hmm. uh, college student, and uh, you had. You you had some stuff about that, Adam. I did. Um, okay, so the whole, like, the big joke about Hamlet um, is that, like, he's just this big emo. Like, that's what everybody laughs about is that Hamlet is some, like, hashtag relatable emo teenager who wears all black and, like, talks <laughs> about death. Like, there's that one line um, when um, uh, Polonius is like, you should go outside, and then... Hamlet's like, yeah, go outside directly into my own grave. Like, wow, what a thing to say. Um, <laughs> but like, those, I think those, I think I highlighted that line like in four different colors. Yeah, yeah, we talked, we talked about how funny Hamlet is as well. But like, <laughs> Hamlet's hilarious. But um, I think like this trope is to me why Hamlet is so important because like Hamlet is to me the heightened version of an adolescent. So like he's got all of this sort of mopey emo stuff going on. Um, but he was this before that was a trope. He was this before it was a big joke and a big thing where people said teenagers were mopey and emotional like that. He was the original. It wasn't a thing that you saw in literature and theater before that. It really gave the, the character of an adolescent. It made him into like a person instead of just, um, a supporting character that was like, in the play to exist to be a teenager he like he became sort of a well-rounded person now hamlet i should put a disclaimer in the book that hamlet is not actually a teenager however right um he's he like fits 30 enough of, right which is yeah he, it's ridiculous he fits enough of the tro- a he fits enough of the tropes um b he's college age technically in the book and c it's widely accepted enough in modern contemporary times that hamlet is a teenager, or at least in his early twenties, that I think we're all okay with saying that. Um, yeah, yeah, I and... just want him to like. I don't know. I want him to like Healy across the stage. Yeah, I think that would and be. Again, I think that would be yeah, perfectly very... in him, character for Hamilton to do to really when he's doing his whole madness thing. Take a ripstick across the stage. <laughs> he's dressed in all uh, things from Journeys and or Hot Topic. <laughs> Um, literally uh, <laughs> like the, when um i i have so many feelings that hamlet in a modern context when polonius says to laertes <laughs> like 
before he goes off to school is like don't be gaudy like he's giving him that laundry list of things yeah. to be and and not to be look at that pun um oh. he uh he says like don't be gaudy and like literally all i can think of is laertes and like head to toe ed hardy being <laughs> <laughs> being gaudy when he's abroad in paris but anyway like one like one fat diamond stud <laughs> yeah exactly yeah okay cool so, my joke's done you can continue um <laughs> Hamlet um like was probably clinically depressed like that's there's enough I think to support that in canon to be able to say that uh, but in Shakespeare's time fun fact about this in Shakespeare's time um before they knew what dep- clinical depression was they called it melancholy and uh melancholy was blamed on having too much black bile in your body as in like the four <laughs> humors having like right. black that bile means and that means then I'm the all other three. black bile yeah. My whole body's black bile. That's the thing. we the plot where every single host and guest has black bile. <laughs> that's so gross. Um, <laughs> but um, that's the thing, and everyone knows this about Hamlet already, so nobody's taking Hamlet seriously to begin with because they're like, oh, he's full of black bile, so we know everything he says is going to be depressing, so why should we listen to him and take him seriously? Because he's literally full of black bile. He's a <laughs> he's um a dramatized version of like we as like adolescents and as young people would like to do in certain like similar situations that he's put in um I think at least a, a much heightened and dramatized version of it and he's also what's really important I think about him is he's one of the first literary or dramatic characters whose piece like the the book or the play that they're in was about yep. inner issues issues with himself as opposed to it being centered on conflicts to another person. Like, at first glance, you might say, oh, the central conflict of Hamlet is, like, Hamlet and, um, um, oh my god. Claudius. Claudius. Um, yeah. I've been calling him Cornelius for this whole thing. There is a character in the book named Cornelius, I think. He's never named in the book. No, I think think Cornelius is the messenger that, um, (laughs) that Polonius sends to spy on Laertes. I might be making that up. Um, but I think that's what it is. Uh, I, just, um, I think so. I just can't read, so <laughs> I'm just illiterate. You're fine. <laughs> <laughs> so like Hamlet was the first one of the one of the first dramatic characters to have like an inner struggle and have his conflict in the play be like self versus self. And like when you think about it, nobody's outwardly directly out to get Hamlet. Nobody, at least at the beginning of the book, no one is actively trying to murder him or, like, to bring him down or anything. They just want him to, like, calm down. Yeah. But, so all of these issues that he creates start within himself and then become outward, which is one of the first of its kind for a character like that. And it sort of launched the thing of, like, think of how internal art is now and how internal drama and theater is now. Almost Like, there are so many pieces of theater that you'll see that are all about the internal struggle and like there's little to no conflict with other people in the play it's just separate people all having problems with themselves um and that started with hamlet i think neat that's actually super super cool yeah i have to say about that that. i do think it's very interesting to talk to someone who's primarily an actor about things like shakespeare because your 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 main point is about Hamlet as a character, which is like something yes. that perhaps would be not the first thing to come to mind for a regular readers or viewers, um, mm-hmm. but is something that comes to mind for 
for an actor and uh yeah a lot um, of like my viewers... uh go ahead yeah no my thing with like you're always going to learn Shakespeare differently from an English teacher than you will from a drama teacher. If you read Shakespeare in any English class that you took in high school, it's going to be vastly different from what a drama teacher or a director or an actor is going to tell you about that Shakespeare. Yeah, so um, here, But also, yeah, I believe in that, like, bad. Um, the first thing, yeah, it different means bad. I believe that when you read classic lit, like Shakespeare or any other, even, like, non-theatrical classic lit, um, especially in a contemporary millennial context, um, the first thing you should ask or the first thing you should set out, if you're trying to like get someone to read this book, the first thing you should set out to do is like, why should you care about this book? Because you can talk all you want about like the beautiful metaphor or like, the lovely imagery or la 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 la, but like to really get somebody invested in it, you should tell them, why should you care about Hamlet? Because Hamlet is you. What a lovely tagline. I love that. I that think that's the not... episode title. That is not I've how seen... Mr. Tiller taught it to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was I think... taught about Hamlet being a <laughs> Which is lens. also a very... Caro, you should have taken that as him saying that Car- that Hamlet is you. Because you're a... <laughs> Thanks. You can't bully me on the podcast and also online and also in real life. Like You're just an all-around... So, uh, anyway, back this idea. So, the main idea of like most viewers or of society of hamlet in contrast to yours is that like he's just like can't decide anything that he spends the whole play waffling Mm -hmm. and soliloquying and that he's just Mm -hmm. indecisive and that's why he ends up dying and that's why this whole play happens and that if he just made a decision then hamlet would be over in Mm -hmm. five minutes but like obviously that's not true yeah that i think that's a valid interpretation of hamlet is to say like he's indecisive because Yes, Hamlet is indecisive in some contexts and in some moments, but I really don't think that is a defining part of his character. People, When people talk about this, they usually cite the scene where uh, he's thinking about killing Claudius while Claudius is praying, but he like can't bring himself to do it, and he just soliloquies about it, um, which, yes, is an indecisive moment. But, okay, here's Hamlet's big thing, is that Hamlet is trying to manage the unmanageable, is how I'm going to start off saying that, um, specifically death in the context of the show. So Hamlet wants death to follow the typical, like, natural order, what he's always been talking about, death. People die when their time comes and they don't come back, and that's it. Um, so everything Hamlet knows to be true about death is refuted in both the killing of his father and the father's ghost returning. Um, so Hamlet is suddenly faced with this, everything that he knows to be true is suddenly refuted, and he wants to manage that and make it into something that he knows again um and the same thing happens with his mom's hasty marriage to his uncle um it has for him it's like ripped apart the foundations of the universe like it doesn't make any sense that gertrude could get over the death of king hamlet so quickly um so in hamlet's mind she's faking her sadness so if his mother lies to him like the whole world must be sick and like side note this was not a normal thing in elizabethan times for like a woman to remarry so quickly and to marry someone related to her. Um, like, nobody seems to have a problem with Gross-a-rooney. it. gross Yeah. Nobody seems to have a problem with this in the play, but it's considered, like, a pretty major sin against God. But anyhow, it's a side note. Um, so Hamlet, in order to create, in order to start managing these things again um, and to create order... Hamlet uses lunacy because the only reasonable reaction to all these insane things that are happening around him is to act insane. That's how he's going to fix it. The only way to to, 
uh, respond to the crazy is to be more crazy. Um, and uh, like all good things in shows, it gets out of hand um, very quickly. And, um, and the fact of the matter is Hamlet is trying to manage the unmanageable. You can't manage death. He, Hamlet doesn't have that kind of control. Um, and like, there's always the question going around in the play of whether or not Hamlet is like really going insane. Um, or if it's like the whole thing is a ruse or if he slowly loses his sanity throughout as the play commences. And you can say whatever you want about that, but I think the ambiguity and um, the vagueness of the answer to that question fits right into the rest of the vagueness and the ambiguity within the play. Yeah, we actually touched on that a little bit before that Hamlet, uh, in contrast to say Macbeth, is a very messy, loose story that doesn't really answer any of the questions it poses. Yeah. And that's kind of something that's unique in Shakespeare and is is one of the things that makes Hamlet so good and so uh, ready to be interpreted in different ways. Yeah, and it's I think it's totally on purpose. And, like, what's the moral of Hamlet? I don't think there is one, except maybe, yeah. like, don't murder or don't, like, <laughs> your cousin. <laughs> I think that's that's about it. I don't think there's another specific moral to Hamlet unless you're trying to say, like, don't try to control the uncontrollable forces. Of yeah. nature and death. Carol, there was a uh, per, uh, a movie that you liked of this. Which one was it? The Kenneth Branagh version. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you remember, like, why? A, I love Kenneth Branagh because in my heart, I'm a Gilderoy Lockhart kind of person. Hell yeah. B, thank you. <laughs> I just relate very heavily to everything he's ever said or done. B, it's beautiful and i like that it's put in a different time period because you know what it's really like the medieval time period it's set in is pretty boring in my opinion and it's cool to see it in like this 1800s kind of thing yeah and then also like the fact that like kind of like you can tell like you're not even kind of but like everyone put their like whole heart into like really trying to make this long play into a very long movie yeah oh my god uh and it's it's so good it's four hours <laughs> yeah i watched it in class it's like well over four hours and we watched the whole thing in my ap lit class so i think uh your your point about about time period is really interesting because of course it's not interesting to us we have tons of medieval art but to elizabethan england medieval times was a very interesting uh setting and that's why shakespeare put it there for the same reason that he put romeo and juliet in italy because italy was a far off romantic place to the elizabethan England people. <laughs> they all love Which the is like why Shakespeare does this. And I think that for artists of today to place them in places that are interesting to them is the whole point. So, um, yeah. like for me. Like what? Uh, Romeo plus Juliet was in like Miami or something. Right, exactly. God, I and I love um, that movie. So cool. I know. Theater, uh, <laughs> the chair of the. So good. <laughs> the chair of the drama department at NYU. Uh, is part of, uh, he runs a theater company called Theater Me Too that did a production of Hamlet um, in which Ophelia was a room and uh, oh, I've, I've heard about all of that. her lines were recorded on this old-timey radio. Uh, and then the Get Thee to a Nunnery scene, Hamlet actually trashes and destroys the room. Uh, and it's like, an yeah. so incredible, like, mind-blowing scene. And, like, it's just a, another example of, like, how Hamlet can... And all Shakespeare can be so intriguing when you just do what Shakespeare did and put it put it in a place or with people or with costumes that you think are interesting. Adam, this is a segue to get to your point. 
about the Panopticon. Yes, I was about to say, um, if as long as we're talking about um, our favorite versions of Hamlet, my favorite version of Hamlet is the David Tennant version, not because I used to be a Doctor Who stan, because I did, <laughs> but that's not why. I think he is an immensely talented Just actor. Just because it's good. Also outside of Doctor Who. Just good. Um, so, like... <laughs> Um, you, you can love David Tennant and also love Dr. <laughs> no, I need to distance place. myself. Okay. I, I say that as I'm looking to the entire shelf I have on my old bookshelf at home that is filled with Doctor Who merchandise. There is a bigger TARDIS and a slightly smaller TARDIS. <laughs> no, but, uh, so God, what was I talking you're about? Okay. Fine at this moment. You're in a safe space for that. <laughs> <laughs> so the David Tennant version of Hamlet is so good. It's so great because... Um, a specific way that they frame it where it's pretty much uh, it's pretty straightforward it's like it's set in more of a modern sort of royal household um so think right. like the the actual like uh, british royals right now um but what's uh really interesting about the way that it's shot is that every so often in between scenes and stuff um it'll do a shot of a security camera that's watching the scene um sometimes like in the middle of the scene it'll switch the security camera and you'll hear the dialogue from there um or sometimes they'll do it as sort of a transition between scenes. And I think that is really, really, really smart because Hamlet exists in a world where there's a lot of spying on and being watched. So, like, Rosencrantz and Gildasturm with Hamlet, and then the guy Polonius sends to France to spy on Laertes, and Polonius and Claudius and Gertrude trying to spy on Hamlet and Ophelia, all happening at the same time. Um, and to not only put that there... Um, with, with all these different characters watching different people, but to have these security cameras watching everybody, I right. think is so crazy because it, it reminds me of the concept of a panopticon, which um, is actually like architecturally, it's a prison um, that is built in such a way that it enables one guard to watch the entire prison um, through the use of like circular windows and like a circular building. I don't know how it works, um, but that's what it <laughs> is. That's the purpose of it. Um, <laughs> The idea of Hamlet existing in sort of a panopticon um, is really interesting for, I think, two main reasons. One, because then there, there's all these atrocities that happen, the murder and the incest, that were all being watched by somebody, and Hamlet kind of knows somebody had to have seen it, but he didn't. Somebody else did. And then B, the idea of, okay, if... Uh, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are spying on Hamlet and who is spying on Claudius and Claudius and Gertrude are spying on Ophelia and Polonius is spying on Laertes. Who's looking at all of them? Who's looking at these security tapes and seeing what's going on and not saying anything and not doing anything about it? And I think that makes it so, so interesting and raises a whole new question for Hamlet not to answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, on that note, I think I will... I think I'll bring us to a close. Uh, Adam, thank you so much. Thank you. You're welcome. You're yeah, so no smart. problem. Thank you for having me. I love Hamlet. Yeah. So if you yeah, asked me to talk absolutely. about like Henry the Sixth, I'd be like, huh? But no, Hamlet, yeah, I'm into. Yeah, and we'll definitely have you back to talk about. I know you wanted to talk about Oliver Twist, and um... I love Oliver Twist. I want to talk. I want to talk about A Clockwork Orange. You have to invite me on for that one. Yes. Um, because I have yes, definitely. very many feelings about A Clockwork Orange. <laughs> it's a very specific book to have a lot of feelings about. <laughs> All right. Thank you Sorry. so much. Hey, y'all. Um, we forgot to do quotes. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to add Adam back to the call real fast. Yay! Adam, before you leave, 
um, or possibly after you left and now you're back. What's your favorite quote from the book? Uh, my favorite quote from Hamlet is Act 2, Scene 2, um, I am but mad north, northwest, for the wind is southerly, I know a hawk from a handsaw. Because first of all, it sounds insane. That's the, <laughs> that's the first ride I learned, read in Hamlet, where it's like, what the hell is he even talking about? Um, but um, it, it's no matter how you say it, it sounds insane. But also, in that line, he's basically telling Rosencrantz and Guildenstern that he's faking it, which I find very interesting because they don't do anything about it either. Um, and also because David Tennant delivers these lines very, very well in his version. That's what I got. Awesome. Th- thanks so much. I'm going to hang up on you again. <laughs> Car- Carol, what's your quote? Okay, my quote is, um, uh, doubt the stars are fire, doubt that the sun doth move, doubt truth be a liar, but never doubt that I love, because I just think it's nice. Oh, it's very sweet. Mine yeah. is from actually the monologue that I do from this show. Um, of course you do. Continue. It is uh, the What a Piece of Work is a Man. Um, Hell Noble and Reason No Infinite Infant, blah, blah, blah. Um, and the line is uh, He says, In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. Which I really just like because he's talking about man, but he's also talking about himself. That his apprehension is. his app- Like his apprehension defines him. And. It defines him in the same way that he sees God in this moment refusing to act on the fact that Claudius is doing something that in his eyes is yeah. the most ungodly thing imaginable. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm actually going to I'm gonna amend my top quote. Ready? Ready? <laughs> yeah. I think yeah. my favorite quote is to be or not to be. Yeah, wait, 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 really wait, good. wait. No, I think it's to thine own self be true. Wait, 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 wait. I think he... This has been... Uh, we is... lost the plot, episode no, four. Wait, uh, we totally lost the plot no, there in that last part. Um, <laughs> so I'm glad we got that in there. It's called uh, We Can't sure Work Technology or Keep a Single, um, a single uh, Thought. Anyway. <laughs> so, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes um, or on Google Play Music you can, or you can, wherever you find podcasts, our RSS feed. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us at, at Lost the Plot Pod on Twitter. And it's moderated. It's, that's also by, our Facebook Yeah, and it's page. also moderated by me and Devin, and it's super fun, and I love it. Yeah. Uh, uh, next uh, episode, we are reading will be... All the President's Men, which honestly, didn't yeah. know it was a book, thought it was just a movie, so I'm very excited. Hey, y'all, Future Devin here. As you probably know, we took a bit of a break. I think it was just one episode. We skipped the release for when this episode is supposed to come out. So what I said in the part that I just deleted is not correct. Since this episode is coming out on the 16th, the next episode will come out on the 30th, and that'll be on All the President's Men. So, once again, you guys can like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. You can subscribe to the RSS feed, or you can tell a friend if you really liked this podcast, because that is the best way to spread the word. All right, I'd also like to give a very special thank you to Jack Samuels for giving us the intro and now some brand new outro music. So uh, go read a book or something. Mm -hmm.